Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is The Mentor with Mark Burris. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. Today we're talking about partnerships, how partnering with established businesses can help you grow your brand and sell your products and what to watch out for. So I've got two guests who have partnered with huge companies with different stories. First up is Kate Morris, the CEO and founder of Adore Beauty. Now they are an online retailer and they partnered with Woolies during the period of 2014 and 2016. But Adore Beauty since bought back their share from Woolies. And later on, I'm going to talk to Danny May, the founder of a company called Lingmo. They're a real-time translation app and earpiece. And that earpiece allows people to have conversations with each other in different languages. And the earpiece then translates it all for you. So we know exactly what's going on. We can talk to anyone in any different language. They partnered with IBM, you know, the international business machine organization, the world's largest. And that partnership is there to build the tech for their product, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing more about that. So, okay, let's get into it. Joining us via Skype again today is the founder of Adore Beauty, Kate Morris. Welcome to The Mentor, Kate. Good morning. Now, Kate, just tell me something. Adore Beauty, um, where did the name come from? <laughs> do you want to know the real story? I sure do. <laughs> so this is back in about 1999, and so this was pre-search engines, and the way that people would find websites was generally through online directories, and they were always ordered alphabetically. And so the truth is that I went through the dictionary starting at A, trying to find words that would be suitable for a name for a beauty website. And um, Adore Beauty was what I picked, and it's actually worked out pretty good. Well, you might as well stick with it. It worked then, and it's obviously a brand now. And what I'm finding, I mean, we're talking about partnerships today and the importance of partnerships. For some people, they work very, very well. They've always worked very well for me with big organizations. Um, But before you talk to us about your partnership with Woolworths, just take me back to when you first launched Adore. Was that mm-hmm. 2000? Yeah, it was uh, yeah, about April 2000. Okay, that's sort of like, uh, that's just off the back of the you know, the tech boom of the late 90s, 1998, 1999. That's a yeah. pretty yeah. crazy period. Um, uh, look, it's pretty prehistoric in totally. e-commerce terms. Yeah. Why did you d- decide to go e-commerce back in 2000? Look, to me, I was always a beauty junkie since, you know, since I was in high school and um, I was actually in 1999, I was a uni student and I was working on the beauty counters. And um, when I explained to people what I did for my part-time job, um, it became clear to me very quickly that a lot of women found 
the the um the existing beauty experience pretty intimidating, pretty unpleasant, um, that they felt like they were having to run the gauntlet every time they wanted to go in and um, buy makeup. And to me, that was pretty that was pretty disappointing. I mean, the products are supposed to be fun. Shopping for it shouldn't be awful. Um, so it was just really clear to me that beauty and e-commerce were things that needed to go together and nobody was doing it in Australia at the time. And I thought, well, as you, as you think when you're a 21-year-old student, why not me? But how does convergence of e-commerce and beauty solve the problem that you just identified? Well, it means that, I mean, for starters, you can sell, you can enable, um, you can enable customers to cross shop between brands in a, in a much more frictionless, frictionless, is that a word? (laughs) It removes the sources of friction that I think the beauty industry was putting in between customers shopping across brands. I mean, obviously there's the benefit that you can shop at 10 o'clock at night in your Ugg boots if you want to. You certainly don't have any sales assistants looking down their nose at you. Um, Isn't there a part of the intimidation, Kate? Like, did you mean like, I don't want to name a store, but let's say you go on one of the big department stores in, in Melbourne or Sydney. Um, are you saying that uh, you can get you can't turn up at Uggboots looking a bit daggy because usually the women standing behind these counters are all quaffed and uh, you know beautiful or whatever and uh, and you can't come in looking like a dag because they're all stitched up? Is that what you're saying? I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people feel that you know in their perhaps natural state um, they won't be accepted or they won't be given attention or they won't be treated like you know the empowered and intelligent women they are. Yeah. And, and so I guess you don't want to be walking prefer. in looking like a bag of shit too. Like uh, I mean, because you, <laughs> you, you got you you got to that's one on one hand you don't want to look like that. Because you're going to get intimidated, you said, or potentially. Right. And you don't want to go to the Clarence counter, then want to go over to the Alabache counter, and they're right next to each other. The woman's going to, behind one's going to say, what are you doing? Like, yeah, I guess well, that's a bit exactly intimidating. It. It's not set up for people to say, hey, you know, the exact right thing for my skin is to have this cleanser from over here and that serum from over there and this moisturiser from over there. It's, it's just not set up that way. Okay, that's And clever. if you walk into one of those environments with a concern, say, I've got really dry skin, I don't know what to do about it, what are you going to do? Go from counter to counter to counter to counter and sort of, you know, collect all and collate all of the advice at the end? It's just, it's just not really set up for that. And and I felt it was really a very unempowering experience for beauty consumers. And I thought online represented an opportunity to change that. And uh, and and I guess also when you do go into one of those stores and you're talking to the ladies behind the counters, um, you don't want to go on looking um, all made up anyway. You want them to see them in your lowest, at your lowest common denominator. You want to see them to see you when you've got no makeup on because you really want them to tell you how to make yourself up as opposed to walking in there already pre-made up because that's a, a bit of a false sort of uh, – sense of um, confidence. You're sort of saying, well, hang on, I don't <laughs> actually it. look like I, this. You know, you won't, you're only allowed to buy beauty products if you look like you don't need them. Yeah, yeah. A, that's the thing. It makes no sense. And I, I, to me, that's that's one of the really big changes that I've noticed in the last few years is when I think about when I was a teenager, the way that people learned about beauty was to go into a department store, sit down at a counter or be sat down at a counter and receive a lesson that would be all from the same brand and you would buy that product and that's you know, that's how things worked. And when I look at 15 and 16-year-olds nowadays, they don't learn that way anymore. They're, you know, I mean, they know far more about advanced makeup techniques like airbrushing and contouring and strobing than, I, than even I do now. And, um, you know, they're all learning from influences on Instagram and YouTube. And 
I feel like, you know, the brands are not in control of the experience in as perhaps they once used to be. And I think overall for consumers, that's a really good thing. So, okay, so Adore is a, an online marketplace for other brands or just your own your own brand? Uh, well, it's look, it's not a marketplace in the you know in the, in the sort of Amazon or eBay sense of the word, but um, we're a multi-brand retailer, yes. So we stock about 190 different brands. So it's a lot of department store and prestige brands. We also go into salon and professional brands, um, some obscure and niche and hard to find brands, and also a little bit of mastige as well. A bit of what? Mastige. So uh, I guess you know more of the L'Oreal Paris Maybelline. Um, Brands that are, you know, I guess at a slightly sort of more everyday price point. Um, and so you you go along to, I don't know, I, I'm just trying to think of brands. The only one I know, Alabasho, because every year I buy my mum something from Alabasho because I know that's what <laughs> well, she uses. that one. <laughs> and um, Clarins is another one I just know because I just know it for some reason. Yes. Um, yes. So you go along to Clarins and say, would you like to be on the Adore website? Correct, yes. Okay. And how long did it take you to accumulate your 109 brands? Uh, well, where are we at now? About 17 years. So, um, look, particularly at the start, it was extraordinarily difficult because the beauty industry did not want things to change. Um, you know, they were, they weren't exactly embracing e-commerce as, Hey, this is a fantastic new way for us to be, you know, (laughs) for us to be not in control of the customer experience anymore. They weren't super excited about it, that at the start. And, um, look, I got a lot of doors slammed in my face. How long did you walk the pavement and walk the footpaths and wear out the shoe leather. How long did you have to do that before you got your first one? Uh, I managed to get two very teeny tiny brands that nobody had ever heard of back at the start because they were the only two that could take my money. Neither of them exist anymore. But that was enough. I, I just I had to prove that to people that I was, I was at least going to do it because um, you know how it is. I'm sure you get you know approached by people with you know a great business idea and ideas are nothing until you can actually execute on it. So I needed to just find something to put on a website so that I could build it. And then once I had built it and, and launched it with just those two tiny brands and the stock in my garage, I went back to all of the brands that said no and then five more said yes. So, so first big brand, seven. first big brand. First big brand actually was Clarins in about 2006. So 2006. Look, that was six years before getting a brand that you know anybody had really heard of. So, so you were at this from two thousand mm-hmm. at the um, very young age of twenty one, yeah, ish, um, and uh, you hung in there for six years. Yeah, yeah. How'd you fund yourself? <laughs> I was uh, cash strapped. Um, I managed to my my starting capital, um, as you can imagine, you know, did not come from a bank at the age of 21 with no business experience. I got laughed out of town on that front, but I ended up borrowing $12,000 from my boyfriend's dad. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was enough to get me the website built and buy some stock. Um, we really had to be cash flow positive from day one, yeah. from the get-go. So it was bootstrapped for 14 years. And who built your website? Did you? Is that something you went and learned how to code or did you have to get someone to come and do it cheap? I did have to get someone to build it for me at the start, but then I taught myself a bit how to code so that I could make changes to it, mainly because I just couldn't afford to pay somebody else $180 an hour to change over the, the homepage for me. I think there's a, a perception out there, at least in some quarters of, the, of our world, that young people like yourself um, um, who start these off in their 21 years of age – 
um, the reason they start off is because they've been given a leg up by somebody else and uh, someone's come and bankrolled with hundreds of thousands of dollars and that they yeah. really are privileged people and you've done it privileged the whole time. And, I mean, we see it on some of these um, influencers' Instagrams. You know, they're <laughs> running around the world having the world's best time. Yeah. And, uh, and they create a fair bit of jealousy, but I don't know if I – I, actually, what I want you to do is to sort of talk about some of the horror stories and I don't know if you want to – maybe you don't want to talk about it, but I would like you to talk about some of the horror stories because – Oh, I know sure. people set up these businesses, and in your case, going for the six years on $12,000 is not an easy thing to do, especially when you probably spend in the first year. They're yeah. eating the dates off the calendar. I mean, it's pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I lived off those little – I call them the meagering years because I lived off those little – you know, those little cheap packets of meagering noodles are like 40 cents a packet. That's mostly what I ate. Um, yeah, look, it's, I, it's, not, it's not a glamorous lifestyle, and that's something that I'm always very conscious of trying to share with as many young people as I can because – Life doesn't look like it does on Instagram. And, you know, and even the people who do look like they have great lives on Instagram, you know, those are only the little curated moments that you get to see. There's, there's a whole lot of, you know, there's a whole lot of, what's that, that uh, phrase? There's a whole lot of Shawshank before you get to the redemption. You know, it's, um, it's you know, it's brutal. It's brutal. I bought no new clothes for six years, I think. So that's, you know, every birthday and Christmas, that's all I asked anybody for. You know, what do you need as a present? Please just buy me clothing, give vouchers. Yeah. <laughs> so that and that, that, and, 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 and I mean, you're talking about 16 years at this now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and I can afford clothes now. It's yeah. Now, so you do obviously doing, you know, you, you've got a living, getting a living out of it and hopefully oh, sure. you're doing better than a living. So the, the big turnaround, um, I guess is when Woolworths partnered with you. And I think that's, what did you need to have in place before Woolworths actually came in and decided to partner with you? What, I mean, what do you think if someone's listening to this, what are the sure. sort of basics you need to have before you can go and present yourself to someone like Woolworths? Look, what we really had to demonstrate first, and obviously this is a challenging thing to do when you're trying to do it just off of cash flow, is to to show potential for fast growth. So you have to kind of get the start of that hockey stick before anybody else is going to believe you that it's there. Um, so that's that was quite challenging. That was actually quite terrifying, um, running, you know, sort of like a very fast growth business for two years without funding um, because you just you just got to manage your cash flow. Explain, explain it to everybody because, you know, the people don't really know what you mean by the hockey stick, et cetera. So sure. you were going for what, how many years before you decided to go? Six years, seven years uh, before you? Look, uh, 12 years before we decided to seek funding. Right. Um, and the business had, you know, sort of grown quite slowly. So I think it probably took 10 years to get to about $3 million. A third of your um, life. Yes. <laughs> so it, it took a long time to to get to sort of, you know, turnover of any size. Um, and then what we had to do was to take some risks with um, our margin. The business had always been profitable since the get-go just because it had to be. Um, and so we decided, look, we think it's the market is now ready for it. Customers are now ready for it. We think there's an opportunity here to grow faster. Uh, we switched over to free shipping on all orders, but obviously... Obviously, it costs money to do that, so every order that you send out is less profitable. Um, but we was, we, you know, that increased our order volumes by seventy percent, pretty much off the get go. 
Um, and we also implemented a price match policy. We also did a lot of investment behind the scenes in kind of the the unsexy things about e-commerce, you know, stock systems and making sure we had the software in place so that if volumes went up, we could actually get people's orders out the door on time. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, you know, that's the boring bit, but it still all costs money and it's got to be done. And so we had to prove that, you know, by putting these things in place that we could get this big growth. And so we went from, you know, in the space of two years from $3 million to $5 million to $7.5 million. Um, and But all of that managing it just off of cash flow. And so that was, that was quite challenging. Um, and then I guess, you know, once you can demonstrate that customers like what you're doing, that there's that, that whole sort of product market fit, this is something that is actually of interest to people and we just need a bit more cash to really, you know, to really give it the push that it needs, um, that was when we decided to go and, and raise capital and that was where we ended up with Woolies. Did you go to anyone else apart from Woolies? Oh, yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and did yeah, you get yeah. professionals to help you or did you do it off your yes. own bat? No, no, we did get professionals to help and um, and I look, I mean, if you're one of those lucky people that is already very well connected in the business community, then you might not need to do that. But, you know, I wasn't especially, I'm not from a business background. I don't, you know, have a sort of a, a moneyed family with lots of connections. So um, I felt that that was the best way for us to get good introductions and I think I was right. Yeah, and so you got Woolworths. Woolworths became your partner. Obviously, they injected capital into your business, and you were in the purpose of the obje- injection of capital was to grow your business. And you mm-hmm. said to Woolworths, "Listen, if you put in X amount of dollars, I can take it from I don't know five million to ten million, just for argument's sake." Mm-hmm. I presume you achieved that, did you? Uh, yeah, we actually smashed all of our forecasts. So um, yeah, we <laughs> we we hit our numbers. And why did you buy Woolies out? <laughs> Look, it was. It was a really successful relationship on one level in the sense that, you know, the goals that we had for the business, we definitely achieved those. And, um, you know, it sort of got us over that kind of awkward size hump where you have to burn cash for a little bit. Now the business is growing very fast and very profitably. And so we're self-generating now, so we don't need um, investment. But look, um, one of the reasons that we got involved with Woolies in the first place was that there were going to be a lot of sort of strategic um, conversions, I guess, um, you know, things that were, you know, going to make it, going to make it smart money that it was, you know, I mean, Woolies is one of the largest online retailers in the country that there would be additional benefits, um, that would mean that it made sense to have a strategic investor. It's one of the things with having a strategic investor is it pretty much locks out everybody else. Right. Um, and look, it just, in the two years that we that we um, worked together, look, it just sort of became clear eventually that the paths that we were on at the start were not the paths that we were on two years later, and it was just one of those things where we weren't. It wasn't like we weren't getting along, or there there were big fights over anything. It just was like, oh, well, we're not really going in the same direction anymore. So maybe we part ways. Okay, so now we own one hundred percent now, or you got other investors? No, no, I own one hundred percent. Okay, good on you. So you've gone from. Uh I mean, it's a great story because you've gone from, you know, basically zero in the year 2000 to 2017 to having a high turnover. You've probably got a good margin business, yeah. I'd imagine, and uh, don't have any partners anymore, but you and a, a partner did come in, put cash in, and you, uh, helped you sort of to um, sort of turbocharge your business for a couple of years. And yep. now you're here and you're, you're mid to late 30s uh, sitting pretty. 
Yep, yep. No, look, I'm I'm pretty happy with where things are at the moment. I mean, obviously, <laughs> fast growth comes with its own challenges, and um, I think that's the only thing keeping me up at what night really they? is is to just try and make sure that we can that we can actually continue to scale without the wheels falling off. What are the challenges? Tell me oh, about it. I mean, look, I mean I everyone's mean, going to be saying, oh, yeah, look at her now. She's making blah, blah a year. Yeah, and yeah, how blah, good blah. is this? And, uh, so <laughs> look, what they are, are first-class problems to have. And certainly in retail at the moment, you know, not everybody is having the same problem that we are, which is that we are growing a bit faster than we'd really planned for. Um, look, you know, you get to certain uh, – this is what I'm coming to realise is that you kind of get to certain breakpoints in the business where the systems that you had when you had 30 people – start to not really work or or be enough when you have 70 people. Um, The systems that you had when you only needed to get 500 orders out the door, you know, start to not work when you need to get two and a half, three thousand orders out the door. So it's all those kinds of things. I mean, it's it's trying to get our logistics right. We're going through a process at the moment of kind of reorganising and re-systemising our warehouse to make sure that we can always continue to meet um, our customer promises in terms of dispatch. So we promise customers that if they order before 1pm, that it will go out the same day. And we've, in the last couple of months, we've been achieving that by heroics, but um, that's, you know, that's that's not sustainable. So it's more just to, you know, ramp up our systems and make sure that we're investing in the right things to build the capacity we need for the next couple of years. And so where to, like, what, what would be your two-year horizon? What, what are you thinking about? What, what do you want to do in the next two years of the business? Oh, look, the next two years is going to be really fun. Um, we've sort of got a you know a little kind of roadmap planned out for the next 12 months already. I, I actually don't like to put in firm plans too many years in advance because I think in this world, things just kind of change too quickly and you've got to be a bit flexible. But um, yeah, look, our, our path at the moment is really about helping customers even more by using all of the data that we have at our disposal. So um, creating better and better ways for customers to find the products that are going to be perfect for them, for them to sort of customise that perfect kind of confidence recipe because that's what I really feel beauty is all about. You know, it's, it's about being able to walk out the door in the morning going, yes, I feel good about my hair today or, you know, my lipstick is great. Um, and so, yeah, the, look, I think data and machine learning represents a huge opportunity for us to do that. And I guess we already sort of started down that path a couple of years ago uh, by building a foundation finding um, piece of software, which is called, it's called Foundation and as foundation, as in makeup foundation, as in makeup foundation, right, yep. yes. Which for the guys out there is the beige stuff that you put on your face to make your skin look even toned. Almost impossible to buy online if you don't know what colour you are, because it's all just little squares of beige and brown on the screen. So we decided that there ought to be a you know sort of a global centralised database of matching foundation shades across different brands, and there wasn't one, so we decided to build it. And uh, that that piece of software now has over 2 million data pairs that have been crowdsourced from women all over the world, from Korea, from France, from Brazil, from, uh, you know, from the US, from the UK. Um, and it, you know, it actually works. It actually works so that um, it, it now works on our site when you going and looking at a foundation, there's a little button that you can click on that says find my shade and you just enter in what brand 
you know, what colour and brand you're using at the moment, and it recommends you which colour you should get. Okay, that's very clever. So so what Kate's talking about here, for those people listening, is that she's not just an online aggregator of various brands of uh, beauty products, but she's now taken all the inquiry and all the data that she's collected from the inquiry and sales, et cetera, and uh, um, what they call metadata, and she's now uh, done some analytics. There must be some analytics in in her software system that allows her to – um, what she called machine learning allows her to learn um, outcomes for various people so that you can sort of pre- allow someone to, pre- well, the system predicts what someone needs in a scientific way, in a mathematical way. That's exactly and, it. Um, and, and this is the big game that all the big online retailers are playing, which is what Amazon's trying to do and Google does and uh, everybody else does for that matter. Um, and uh, it's one of the great advantages that we have online has over and above physical interactions because, uh, you know, physical interactions is just based on perhaps the girl at the counter in the, in the big department stores based on her eye. And uh, whereas this is uh, empowers you to know the information yourself. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, whenever you go into a store, you're really reliant on the knowledge of the person that's serving you, which, you know, it may be excellent. And obviously, if you're talking to one of our makeup artists on live chat, then it absolutely is excellent. But, um, you know, we can kind of go a step further from that and say, right, well, based on what, you know, millions of women are all, all over the world are actually using, we have we have more information available than just what's in that person's head. So it gives us it gives your user confidence level that they are using the right thing. And by the way, makeup and all these sorts of things about confidence. Um, you never know whether you got the right outcome or not. And how I see myself is probably different how someone else sees sees me. But as long as I walk out with confidence, that's ninety percent of it. Because if I walk out and I'm sort of uh, doing the walk, doing the strut, because I feel good, you probably yeah. do look good. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And that's kind of what, what I really want to bring to beauty because I feel that that's something that perhaps the beauty industry hasn't really, you know, it hasn't quite nailed. And, and I still get a lot of women saying to me, oh, I've never known how to put eyeshadow on. Do you think I should be wearing eyeshadow? And I say, well, look, do you, do you want to wear eyeshadow? Would that make you feel good? And, you know, there's no, there's no should about it. If you don't want to wear makeup, then goodness, don't. You know, <laughs> there's no, we don't want to be... We don't want to be prescriptive about anything. We don't want to say this is what you should be using. We want to say to customers, hey, tell us what you want and then we will absolutely point you in in the very precise right direction from our selection of you know, over 13,000 products. We will help you find the right ones, but only for, only for what you want. Very, very clever. I love it. I love this. Um, it's not just makeup and beauty um, products and or services. It's a, it's a, it's a whole system. I really... I, I really have enjoyed talking to you about this. This has been a fantastic outcome. And I'm, look, clearly it's taken 16 years. It's not something you build up overnight. It's not. And there's a lot of intellect gone into this, a lot of hard work and effort and sweat, and I congratulate you on that. I always offer everybody one question. Um, what one question would you have for me, if any? Oh, look, I'd be interested to hear, in your opinion, um, you know, a lot of what you read in the in the newspapers at the moment is all doom and gloom for retail. But, you know, in any time of disruption – there are opportunities. What do you feel the opportunities are for retailers at the moment? Well, I think you're a glaring example of um, someone executing all the opportunities. Um, the opportunities are, in, in terms of online, for retailers is if you're able to build a marketplace, and I often talk about this, a marketplace where you can match demand and supply. In other words, which is what you're doing, you've got the supply, which is all the brands, and you're building a place whereby consumers 
can get a better experience at perhaps a, uh, at least at a competitive price, that marketplace using, um, you know, online and digital gives people a, a really good experience and more, most importantly, gives empowerment. So democratization is what online does. Online allows everyone to be equal. It doesn't matter whether you're wearing, you don't have, you can be shopping with your rug boots or you can be shopping glamorous. It doesn't make any difference. It democratizes the experience of being able to access all the things that you allow these people to access, all the brands you allow them access and access them in um, your time and at a right price. So I think that is a massive opportunity. And if you can get enough eyeballs onto your website, then all of a sudden you've got this ability to do what uh, you know, all the iTunes and everybody else is doing is that is use these genius systems uh, to give you predicted outcomes, you the consumer predicted outcomes. Yeah, That's a huge, huge opportunity, which is what, Google and Amazon, everyone's chasing. Um, and by the way, Woolworths are trying to do it and all the media stations are trying to do it. Everyone's trying to do it. <laughs> and here's a little old girl from Melbourne here, or young girl from Melbourne. Uh, Tasmania originally. <laughs> well, there you go. She's, she, she's doing it. And uh, so this is um, a great call out to everybody um, to if they're not happy in their job and they think they can offer something else out there in the world, well, one way of doing that is create marketplaces that give users a better experience by democratizing the process and empowerment. I mean, I think yep. that's a great opportunity. And um, ultimately, you pass on all – you do all the metrics and you do all the analytics of all the metrics, I should say, and pass that back onto the consumer. Total yep. empowerment. It's unreal. Yep. 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 Good on you. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. Really nice to talk to you. Likewise. See ya. Up next on The Mentor, I'll talk with the founder of a language translation app in Earpiece that translates in real time, so don't go away. Okay, got Danny May here. Danny used to be a plumber who somehow ended up in the tech industry making a real-time translation app in Earpiece called Lingmo that effectively allows people from speaking different languages to have a conversation in real time. Um, Welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thanks for having us. Uh, you were a plumber. Yep. Uh, what made you decide to get into the tech industry? I mean, that's a big change. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur, so I always wanted to try something different. And during plumbing, I was always dabbling in a bit of IT here and there. Had a um, couple of developers that, you know, did contractor work for me, you know, doing websites for family, friends, apps. Um, you know, then just kind of took the plunge when I went to China um, I was doing plumbing. I was. Uh, you went of, to China to do plumbing? No, I went to China. So I was working for a co- uh, Central Coast company. Yeah. And I was in charge of solar products. So solar hot water products when the industry was good. Yep. Um, so I went there to look for manufacturers, design our own products, and go from there. Um, first trip to China, uh, within four hours, my passport was stolen. And uh-huh. couldn't believe it. So um, used a, went sent a police officer, um, used a competitor's. Uh, translation device and or you know app and said hello how are you into it and instead of coming out like that I said hello I love you so <laughs> you know with the, <laughs> with the IT you know coming back to the IT it's you know the whole trip home I thought how many other people are having the same issue um, and you know having dabbling in IT here and there I thought well I'll give it a go you know and and 
continued did plumbing. So you kept your, you kept your plumbing for cash flow purposes. Yeah, yeah, had you, to. We've got to have the money coming in every week. Yeah, you did your, you did your, your gizmo at night. Yep. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, full time plumbing for three years after that. So I've been, this is a four year project. It right. hasn't been overnight. Um, so three years doing plumbing full time and doing the translation software um, overnight. So virtually, um, you know, wake up five o'clock in the morning, go to work, come back, you know, four five o'clock. Try to spend a couple of hours with the kids and, and the wife. So you married with kids? Yeah, married three kids, so Good three man. boys. Yeah. Um, and then worked till about probably, you know, from about 7.30 till 12 at night, doing it for about so, three years. Okay, so tell me uh, how does it work? Like uh, you're a plumber, so you're doing, I guess you're building software. and you the, Well, first of all, you've got hardware. you got the earpiece, right? Yeah, yeah. So what we did um, back when I first started, um, it was – Prim- my primary focus was the earpiece. Right. Um, we've had some, in recent times, we had some advisors, ad- you know, come on board and say, um, concentrate on the technology first, um, then move to the hardware because the hardware, it's not the easy part, but it's the easier part. More, more readily available. Yeah, yeah. So um, so we sort of dropped the the earpiece for probably about a year and concentrated on the technology, got it working um, using our own machine learning. Um, so that was... I've, we've got a, a full-time development team. We've got them in Pakistan, yep. um, and they've been working for me for the full four years. So, so no, just I just Danny, let me understand something. So, the I, I let's say I buy one of these earpieces. Yep. Are they available to buy on the market? Uh, we're pre-sale now, Not, so yeah, they're, okay. they're going to be um, available for shipping mid to late July. Okay, so I, I get the earpiece. Mm-hmm. I, um, I presume, presumably, what I've got to do is I've got to. Uh, Connect my earpiece up with my PC or some no, no, software. No, no, no. So what what we've done is there's um, a few other competitors that have earpieces out there that connect to their phone. Right. Um, we wanted to make it something different. You know, we had to differentiate ourselves, and what we did by that was make it a completely independent earpiece. So you got a microprocessor inside the earpiece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah so we got the full um, full hardware inside the earpiece. Um, it's run by a GSM SIM card. Yep. So, so there's, a, there's a small SIM in the yep, earpiece. Small SIM in the earpiece. Yep. Um, and it can you're able to make phone calls, you know, use Google Maps on it. We wanted to make it not just a translation device, but a multi-purpose device. Yep. Um. So we've got our hardware via our own APIs that is built into the software of the um into the to the earpiece. Yep. Um. We had to do that because if we actually put the software into the earpiece, people could buy it and reverse engineer it and and try and. So I uh, so the earpiece I I stick the earpiece in my in my in my ear. Yep. There's no uh, – is there a microphone? No, no, it's an inbuilt microphone it's, it's, into it's it, yeah. It's right? yep. So um, I – Sort of like a mini headphone on one side. Yeah, you know? I've seen like this for – you can get them for music and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So um, is it one – just one? It's one, yeah. Just one. So yeah. um, I, I – and I'm talking to you in another language. Yep. Um, what happens is that I, do it I – It translates. So what happens is you push a button on, on the earpiece. Yeah. Um, you start your translation. It happens over 30 – we've got a 32-second maximum block that you can speak. Um, then it stops and then it begins translating. How does it know I want – how does it know I want – does it – so I'm just trying to work out how it works. So yep. let's say you're, I'm in China and you're a Chinese yep. policeman yep. and um, I'm an Aussie yep. and um, do I preset it to China? Yeah, you, yep, yep. So you preset the languages on the earpiece. That's right. why it's got an LCD screen on, on the outside of it. So you preset it to English and Chinese. Right. Um, then you push the button to speak English. It speaks English and then – um, it comes out in like Chinese. Google Translate on your phone. Similar, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it's not it's not spoken; it's just written on yeah, Google yeah. Translate. So, yeah. Um, and I and what happens is uh, I I say to you, uh, uh, hello, Mister Policeman, and uh, it doesn't translate it for you. It translates what you say to me. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I speak in English and it yeah. translates Chinese to you. So you're Chinese, it, it speaks Chinese to you. Um, and so we've got two earpieces that communicate together. So right. you have one, I have one. Oh, I give um, you an earpiece yeah, as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I yeah. hand you an earpiece. Yep. And, so we've got uh, sort of two versions. So we've got one, so just for you, if yeah. you you kind of you know want to be a loner and just walk around the yeah, streets yeah. to understand people. Yeah. Um, but the the during the pre-sale, most of them have been the two two earpieces, so they connect to each other, and you control it so he can understand what you're saying. And, and does it like pair through Bluetooth or something? Yeah. It? So the devices pair um, pair through Bluetooth. Yeah. But you got one one that has the SIM card in there. Right. Okay. So it's completely what we want to do is differentiate ourselves so it wasn't connected to your phone because when you're traveling. I've got an iPhone. I don't want to unclick my SIM card because I'll lose it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Un- yeah. Like if you go over there and the data roaming charges because it, it still requires data to, yeah, to do the translation because yep. it, it picks up the dialects, it picks up the accents. And what we're, we've designed the technology to do is not do um, simple word-for-word translation like most most of them are. We're taking it. That's why we've done 32-second blocks. On average, it's 5 to 15 seconds people are using it. Um, and it takes what's been spoken um, looks at the language it's going to and puts it into context, into the language so, that the person that's, that's been translated to actually understands yep. instead of trying to just get the gist of what's going on. So the um, – because, you know, like you've got to be careful of dialects and cultural yeah. and like like phraseology, et cetera, like that. Slang. So, yeah, slang. So the machine learning – I mean, it would be like somebody having this system coming here and let's say they went out to talk to someone in Paddo in the old days, Paddington in the old days in Sydney where everyone used rhyming slang. Yeah. And someone said, I don't know, like, you know, I'll give you a smack in the north and south. Um, the machine, uh, how, how did you, how have you built the machine learning pre-launch? In other words, how do, how do you get enough of that? Because I know it's, it's going to keep learning. Yeah, it's, it's going to keep learning. So obviously the more data that gets put in there, the more dialects it, it picks up on all that. So again, that's been a long process um, over the, the three years, a long, long slog. Um, we've, we, you, 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 we got the data, so you buy the raw data. Because um, to create your own data is just a, a massive job. So we've we've uh, we purchased the raw data, made our own uh, machine learning algorithms, and then inputted it into that. And it's, it's like we train it up to a kid. The way we, the best way to describe it is yep. a little boy on a um, on training wheels. Yep. And you go off, you go, and they ride around in circles, and then eventually they get off the training wheels. That's exactly what we do. So like you've you've done it just through tr- sort of trial and error, and yeah. uh, and just continue to. To continue to learn, continue to learn, yep. and learn over the top of it, learn over the top of it, and just continue doing it. And can you do that um, using a, um, you know, using the power of computing power, where it's doing it twenty four hours a day whilst you're in bed asleep? Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's 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 the whole reason. Sort of, you know, you know, your, your first question of how I got out of plumbing. It's plumbing. Yeah, you know, everyone says, you know, when you're a plumber, you, you may may make lots of money. Um, you know, it's kind of a myth if you know you own your own business. Yeah, possibly, but if you're working for someone, you don't. Um, you, so my mentality was, you know, being an entrepreneur, you've got to try and create something that you can make money or possibly sell or people can use while you're asleep or you don't have to actually physically be there. Like we're plumbing. I physically had to be there to unlock a toilet or, which or means do a you've tap. Got, which, you've got limited, which means you're limited in your terms of your upside because yep. it's the number of hours you're there. Yep, exactly. So you, you make while you make money while you're there mm. with being a plumber. Um, within the IT industry, you, you have the possibility if it, you know obviously everything goes well, you can you can make money while you sleep and it, and it can go global. Now we are plumbing. talking about partnerships here, um, you know, and, uh, and today we've been talking about people going into partnerships, and, and I mean it's something I've always done, and I've always done gone into partnerships with organisations much bigger than me. Um, and in your case, you've got a 
an arrangement. Maybe you can explain how it works with IBM. Yeah, yeah. So we've got a collaboration with IBM. So we've got our own machine learning that we're talking about. Yeah. We do 37 languages. So we've got them um, accessible by APIs and via our own apps. Um, so the collaboration come along with IBM where um, we've been speaking on, it was 18 months or so. It's a, it's a long slog with, with the big multinational companies. Um, we've... We met a gentleman by the name of Neil Sahoda, so he's an IBM master inventor and worldwide business development leader for IBM. Um, he caught wind of I, I got introduced to him via LinkedIn, LinkedIn out of all places, and he um, seen what we're doing, was interested, and said we could somehow try to work in with each other because um, what's they got IBM Watson, so it's AI powered, um, a bit like Google Brain, but obviously a little bit, you know, it's it is. We find it much easier to use, um, and its computing power is just phenomenal. Like mm. it just learns so quick. So we formed the collaboration with them to utilize their services um, with the translation. Um, so you've got the translation APIs, and we embedded it into our our earpiece. So our earpiece is run off IBM Watson. Um, so that's why the earpiece only does eight languages, um, where our software does thirty seven. Um, but the the, the goal is to add more languages to, to the earpiece and, and work with IBM to add more languages. So because we've done it with our own stuff, um, we want to try and you know help IBM somehow get into so, it. So what, what, what's, what's in it for IBM? Um, it's – they've got sort of the – obviously the marketing and the media side of it, um, but it's, it's showing that IBM Watson – most people think of IBM Watson, especially in Australia, not many people know about it. Um, they think of – People think of IBM Watson as an enterprise for ANZ Bank, Commonwealth Bank. They use it for multi-thing. What we're doing is bringing it to the consumer. Mm. So we're, we're using it for everyday people to get the benefit and learn about AI and, and see how, how it can compute, how it can learn dialects and, and different things. So it's, it's showing, for, for my opinion, for IBM, it's showing that they can use their services not just for enterprises but for everyone yeah in other words because i for those people listening i mean ibm solutions is a massive organization who builds a lot of the artificial learning for the banks so the banks know every time you do it because they build all your transactions up and they know what you're doing say with commonwealth bank for argument's sake and then uh, they take um the learning from you and they um Overlay it or overlay the learning from you know, millions of other transactions from millions of Australians, and they work out what you actually want, what they, what they think you want, based on a whole number of um, uh, a whole number of mathematical formulas. What's mathematics that builds it up, and uh, in a formula sense. So, what IBM, what, what we're talking about here is IBM. What's in it for IBM here in this case is for IBM to be able to show that their Watson software or their Watson platform is not just limited to what banks need but can be done for other things for consumers, direct to consumer. Yeah, correct. They, yeah. They've got a um, – it's called an IBM Global Entrepreneurship Program. So I guess if anyone's interested, they can contact um, the the guys at IBM in here in Sydney. They, they're doing it. Um, so what they're trying to do is they're really trying to get IBM into start into the startup world. Yeah. That's that's their, their goal is they feel um, collaboration with startups, you know, helps – um, rejuvenate, not rejuvenate, um, but enhance their, their platforms because they can. People are thinking, what can we use IBM for? What can we use Watson for? To outside the box, yep. you know, for different applications. And because Watson is such um, a powerful, you know, powerful platform, 
that you know it doesn't take long to train it. So yeah, and, and I think we're just for the people listening here because you you know you're part of the converted and knowledgeable. But I mean, <laughs> I, I, um, what what Watson is is basically a process of machines learning faster than we can ever learn, and putting those learnings into um, uh, an offering to the to the consumer. Yep. That, that's sort of it, yeah, it, can, yeah. it can learn. It can learn across twenty-seven different languages or nine different languages, um, phraseologies, idiosyncrasies, um, dialects, etc., and then convert it really fast. Then faster than anyone could ever sort of input it by hand, data input it, um, and and that's sort of very powerful. Um, in other words, that they can predict scientifically what it within within milliseconds what that means, what that is most likely to mean using their system. So how did the hell like? I mean, don't get me wrong here, but you're a plumber from <laughs> boy, Central Coast? Central Coast, yeah. Central Coast plumber. Yeah. Um, uh, you're, how old are you? 24. 34, young bloke. Um, you've been at four years, so you started when you were like 29 or 30. Yeah. Um, one day you just went to China, you found this problem. But that's, yeah. I understand that. That's really cool. Like, you know, that's how most great outcomes are. People see a problem, they work out a solution or they, they uh, think about a solution, they don't work it out. But this one's like big. Like, I mean, you're talking about hardware, earpieces, um, you know, not only in the hardware, you're putting microprocessors into the earpiece so it's not connected to a mobile phone. You're putting GSM, you're putting a, a, a chip into a into an earpiece. Um, you're then getting the earpiece to uh, um, be able to have machine learning um, embedded into the software that runs the earpiece. Like it's and there'd be all the back end stuff, all the stuff behind it. I mean, you just that's just the the, the easy stuff. The yeah, back end yeah. stuff is all the difficult stuff. You know, yeah. all the you know all the, the the deliveries and all the fulfillments and you know the tons and tons of information and data and inputs to go. And then you're going done a deal with IBM, or like a joint, what probably is a joint development agreement, or some type of thing like that. Um, this is like a big deal, and you've done it in four years. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. where, I mean, you know, I know you're telling me you're doing after work. Um, yeah. I guess you're doing it full time now, are you? Yeah, full time now since October. Yeah. You're making the quit out of it? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we've we got a. Um, the reason I come on full time in October was we just secured our first round of investors in angel investors. Okay, great. Um, which was can, can I just stop there? Yeah. Everyone talks about angel investors. We've got to secure yeah. our first round. And we've got all these people out there trying to do this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. How'd you do it? It was bloody hard. Yeah, well, tell me. Oh, and it's always hard, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sometimes it's impossible. The, it, you know, one of the – I brought two partners on. So I got to the point where I got it to a, got the, the software, everything to a certain degree, um, but I couldn't commercialize it. So I brought two partners on, um, Darren Allard, Peter McGrath. Um, they, again, they're, they're in the paper industry as well. So they're outside of the IT, but they knew how to commercialize products and, make, and take them global because that's what they did. Um, so I bought. How'd you know them? Um, got introduced by the mother-in-law actually to Darren. Right. They live in the same street, and they yeah. were just talking about Central Coast. It. Yeah. 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 So a small place, yeah. but um, they lived in the same street, and I was traveling the world trying to look for investors, um, collaborations right and stuff, and it was literally around the corner. And what about the other guy? Um, Peter. So um, Darren, I got introduced to Darren first by the yeah. mother-in-law, yeah. and um, Darren worked with Peter in the paper industry many years ago, so he was thinking. Who could I bring on that could help um, bring the right people um, and also help commercialize this? And then, um, then that's where Peter come on. We we approached him in February two years ago, and yeah, ever since. Then and how much you raise for them? Um, to so it off. from the original angel investors, we raised just under two hundred k US. That's that's Peter and Darren. No, 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 no. So what happened was we um, put our own capital in. 
to start off with. Mm-hmm. So to start this, I had to, you know, life savings, personal loans, credit cards, you know, the usual stuff. Because the problem that I found was in contacting angel investors here in Australia um, was t- uh, particularly difficult because they wanted to see a product. Yeah, they didn't. It's not like in Silicon Valley where you can go with an idea yeah, and they'll yeah. throw money at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a different sort of ecosystem here. You have to have a product or at least product market fit to to get in the door. Um, so we put our own capital in. Um, those, we being, we being? Uh, myself, Darren and Peter. Right. So so they were your very first partners. Yeah. You, you guys are the founders. We're the founders, yeah, yeah. So we're all co-founders. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of you, – you, I've done a few startups in the past which failed because of lack of capital. Um, so, and, okay, that's good. That, that's important for people to hear that. This is not your first foray. So they, no. people, I don't want people sitting around thinking, oh, wow, the guy went from being a plumber to being an entrepreneur – and looks like he's doing really well overnight. Whereas people need to know that you've had a f- few cracks at this. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a hard slog. You know, you, 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 I the the ones that fail were the typical ones where you're sort of hunting for the the money. So when Instagram went, you know, went IPO and got sold to um to Facebook, then they you know sold for a billion dollars. Everyone next thing you know, everything was a, a photo sharing app or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was in that sort of crowd, but yeah, then yeah. that's when the problem come up in China, and that's where I thought differently, not about the money, about the problem, yeah. and that's where. You know, this sort of eventuated from that. So, yeah, it is it is a long, hard slog. So, I've you know, prior to Darren and Peter coming, I put my own capital in. Then those, um, then we bought, um, I bought them on. And what I sort of want to stress is with the other the other IT companies that I had that failed, they, I was in the mentality of I started this. I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, it's, right. it's my baby. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, the yeah. typical sort of entrepreneur. If you end up with thing. all of it, even yeah. if it loses money. Yeah. So then you know you lose it, and then you you. you I learned from that and, you know, implemented what I've learned from that into this company. And, um, you know, it's not about, you know, it's all yours. It's about if you can do it all, which I couldn't, and I needed to bring people on. So you got to, you know, you got to share, share the, the, the love and and, the burden. Yeah. And, um, so those, um, Darren and Peter come on board and they, since then, um, we've, we raised our first round mostly from, uh, their network. Because they knew the people, they um, the people trusted them and trusted what we're doing. They, you know, they seen the vision of what we had, um, and we're currently going through our second round right now. Right. Um, so it's still open. We're hoping to close that in probably another month. How much are you raising this time? Um, five hundred k. Right. Um, so what that five hundred k is to do is so the the first round was to build everything. Like we had it built, but enhance the software and make sort of bi directional revenue streams. Um, so we got to that point and now we're at scale up phase. Um, and then that's when the earpiece launched. So and stuff. you should explain what bi-directional revenue streams means. So what that means is, um, we just didn't want to focus on the one, one revenue stream, whether it be app sales or the earpiece sales, we needed to have different forms. So we've got four different forms. Um, so we've got our app sales. Um, so we've got apps out there at the moment, um, which can, Translate, do everything that we're doing, um, but it's a cheaper option for people. But the benefit of the app is it can communicate and connect to any Bluetooth device. So a car for taxi drivers, uh, you know, any any anyone that has their own, they don't want to buy our headset, but they've got their own headset, they can do it, you know, um, Apple AirPods, anything. They can connect to any Bluetooth device. Um, our second one is our APIs. Um, so that's is we've made our software available to small, medium, large enterprises. So if they want to implement the um, our translation software, not even doesn't have to be translation, can be um, speech recognition, speech to text for their website, text to speech. They, we've got access to that for companies. 
Um, our third one is our earpiece, um, which we launched last week. And uh, in the week, we sold 600 orders and primarily outside of Australia, as in Brazil, UK, US, um, been the, all, the, all the orders that come through. And then our, third, our fourth one is sort of a stealth one that we're, you know, I'll probably announce here with you. Um, it's a, I love this. It's a scoop. <laughs> a scoop. Um, so it's, it's, it's called Lingmo Go. So what that is, it's a home assistant. So um, the best way to probably the easiest, simplest way to do it, it is a Google Home Amazon Alexa, but it's in the different languages. So Amazon Alexa and Google only do certain languages. We're targeting the the Chinese market, so we do Chinese um, and the languages that they don't do because we, um, which is powered by um, Watson as well, but because we have the the knowledge on how to train the languages and train the system, we're focusing on the areas that they're not currently in at the moment because we can't go to the US and try to go up against Google. You, you, no. it's, it's a useless thing. Yeah. So because um, they don't do Chinese, we're going to go to China and implement in China and um, it's all AI powered. So, you know, it's... Um, I just got back from China last week in Geneva, and the the talk of the town over there is artificial intelligence. That's it yeah. in China. So um, that's our fourth revenue stream, which is sort of going to launch later towards the end. And of where the you year. manufacture the earpiece? Uh, so we we assemble it here in Australia. Yeah, you get um, all your components out of China. Yeah, yeah, we get no, we get some of um, the the hardware out of China, and we get the the body and the molds out of our Pakistan office. So right. we've got Pakistan that do the molds. And what about all the uh, electronic pieces? Uh, China. China, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. And then you assemble it here. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Do, do you get any uh, – have you explored all the export government grant yeah, yeah, developments, development grants and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, we, we kind of we, – I spent about two days trying to go through it. Especially, it's complex. It's, oh, it's, it's massive. And the, the issue that we found was we fell in between a lot of them. You yeah. know, we were too far for one of them. We weren't far enough for another. Um, so the one that we're, we're probably more focusing on now is cause we're setting up the office up on the central coast. So it's a, it's a rural area and we can go for, um, we're employing rural people, regional, we, regional, regional people. Regional. Um, we can, um, go, there's a grant for that. So we'll probably possibly look at that towards the end of the year. But again, being on the Central Coast, sort of want to keep it on the Central Coast. And no, good on you. And and what's great is you are actually assembling in here in Australia, so you're going to at least build some jobs here in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the ultimate goal is um you know set a little warehouse up somewhere. And um at the moment we're doing it ourselves. Like we've got people that come in and do it for us. Um, but depending on the on the load, which we know we've got six hundred odd in a week, it's it might be pretty big. So we'll have a assembly facility, and it's not hard to assemble. I I can assemble it. You know, so well, I wouldn't put. I wouldn't be honest. <laughs> you, I don't. If you get assembled, that doesn't. I wouldn't say that means it's easy because looking at what you've assembled all together here is uh, <laughs> pretty impressive in a four year period. Yeah, thanks. Um, and what, what's your training? Apart from being a plumber, obviously. Plumber, or or self trained. But have you always had an interest in uh, this sort of stuff? Like, um, uh, you know, obviously when I was a kid, you know, growing up, um, you always try to pull the, you know, your fans apart and pull batteries and make it all work and stuff, um. It, it more so when I got into the sole industry um, and went to China, that's really where it started to kick off, you know, pulling things apart and trying to envision how things would work, especially when I was, um, you know, the reason that I was going to China was to look for manufacturers, but also how to make like workstations and like to make the solar stuff work for hot water. Um, and that's where it really started to kick in because I was pulling parts up bits apart, getting into the moulding and stuff like that. So, For those people listening, by the way, um, the, the typical stereotype of um, a tinkerer, 
like someone who's tinkering with things and uh, isn't an IT guy, as you know, I, you know, he's sort of a straight, a straight build, um, pretty conservative, nerdy. Blah, blah. Let me just describe what I've got in front of me here. I've got, I've got a Blake. Um, he's got a, a, a sleeve, a long sleeve shirt on that's hanging out. Um, <laughs> He's a uh, uh, he's a stocky as hell. He looks like he probably could play for the Wyong Roos. Uh, yeah, used to. Uh, yeah, used to. Okay, he's a footy a footy player, <laughs> r- r- rugby league player f- for sure. Yeah. Um. Uh. He's is a a, a typical Aussie look. If I was to describe an Aussie, that's I'm looking at one, and uh, he looks like he'd love to have a beer, and he's sort of like he could go down the corner and have a drink of the RSL with. Like he's he's that's not what, what <laughs> and he's not what you sort of expect and he's a plumber and he's down to earth he's from the central coast yet he's you know i'm involved in technology and i know you know what it takes to be in technology and he's talking about having invented he's effectively an inventor um and he's invented something based on a problem and it has global um consequences he's able to get ibm into help help jointly develop some parts of it uh, because IBM has an interest in actually, to be frank with you, using you because they want to use your, your protocol, their protocol to prove your system to prove their protocol works in other environments. That's, and that's, so, you know, give yourself a pat on the back seriously, (laughs) mate, because uh, that's a big deal. And uh, and I want to congratulate you because it's, look, I don't know whether this thing is going to work or not take off and sell millions of miles around what I bloody hope it does. Um, You're already off to a bloody good start, but what I want to congratulate on you is actually having a crack at what is a mammoth task and it doesn't phase you. You're just having no. a crack at it over after work at night from, you know, and with the family, three kids, it's not as if you're sort of, uh, you know, um, Bruce Wayne stuck in some sort of special <laughs> place underground with all these people the helping tunnel. you. Yeah. 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 You're, you're at home on the central coast after work, uh, tinkering and playing around with this sort of stuff, researching and, you know, probably getting on the telephone, sending emails and uh, doing all this stuff a lot, to a large extent on your own. Well yeah. done. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of um, research into it to see if it was, you know, because I've had the two sort of failed IT companies before. I wouldn't, um, no, it's not called failures. No, look, the things that goes, they are. Because, look, in, in San Francisco, if you go to the Valley today yep. and you pitch your VC, to the VC, the venture capitalist there, unless you failed once or twice, they don't even want to talk to you. Yeah. That they they see that as part of your education. I mean, uh, it is got, good education. Though. You get, uh, totally, you learn. You've got to learn about yourself. You've got to learn about what markets want. I mean, you, as you said earlier, it's not about being in the popular stakes and uh, sort of trying to do what everyone else is doing on Instagram because that was the latest thing that got sold. It's actually doing something before they get sold and uh, coming up with something brand new. Yeah, and they, they're the great curve. lessons. So, people, if you're listening to this, do not be afraid of failing or getting close to failure or near failure and then pivoting even. You know, on on to another into another direction because that's the way to go. And what what is another really good lesson out of this is don't think you can do this all on your own. Yeah. You need partners. Yeah. Whether it's just for money or someone to bounce ideas off or someone to share the pain. Or I think it's that more sort of share stuff. share the ideas. You know, bounce ideas off. Um, you know, I think it's all the above. Yeah, yeah. And it just, I just think it's brilliant. I really makes me feel good to hear you have have this conversation with you today. Um, in the interest of time, we've got another another two more uh, uh, podcasts to do after after you. So I'm going to ask you one question. I'm going to give you rather an opportunity to ask me one question. <laughs> what is it you want to ask me? Well, I mean, I've been through lots of stuff, and I actually am in, am in awe of you, to be honest with you. So, but you, what is it you want to ask me? Probably the, especially over the last couple of weeks, considering that um, the social and press media went viral. We're getting you know time management, managing yeah time management. How do you manage your time? You know, emails, meetings. Um, I only got back to 
Australia on Sunday and I've been flat out since. So I'm trying to work out how to time manage the best I can. You know, it was it was different because I was doing stuff overnight after work. Um, now it's, you know, full-time and, you know, you got interviews, you got, um, you know, again, as you said, the hardware, everything's, we, we've sold it. We've got to start producing it and start and exporting it. So time management. Um, time management, uh, uh, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, I basically prioritise my business ahead of everything. So if you're talking about time management in a holistic sense, um, I mean, I'm probably not very good at actually allocating enough time to in the past to my family and to myself. Yep. Um, and I would just, um, if I've got 20 tasks to do at work and I've got 20 hours, I'll take the whole 20 hours up and do the 20 tasks. Um, and I won't do any, allocate anything to anything else. And uh, and if I'm on a plane, I'm sending emails. If I'm, um, if I'm at an airport, I'm, I'm reading emails. I'm... I'm pretty much on my mobile phone because I use that for all my emails and yeah. I don't take a laptop or anything with me. So it's I'm I'm full-time on my business all the time. And yeah. I can tell you now, Danny, for the last 15 years, that's the way it's been. Yeah. So And it's never stopped. It doesn't stop. Yeah. Um, my time management is poor in terms of allocations. <laughs> my time management in terms of focusing on what I need to focus on is excellent. Yeah. And I also know I'm efficient. I know what I shouldn't be spending any time on in terms of my business. So I say, well, that's not worth reading. So, for example, right across from me here on my right is Hugh. Hugh's our producer. Hugh Humphreys, great producer. Been a breath of fresh air from us, in fact, since I've been at uh, SEA. Hugh sends me my brief yesterday. Um, I don't read it till this morning. Yeah. And not because I'm being disrespectful for Hugh or you, the guest, for that mm. matter. But I do it just before when I'm downstairs waiting for Hugh to come bring me up and having a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm a quick – I'm used to this sort of stuff, so I'm used to reading scripts for television shows. Yep. I can read them quick and I can learn fast um, and because um, that's just part of my training. Um, so what I do is I, I decide to do it then because what that allows me to do is it's fresh my mind. Yep. There's no point in me reading last night because I'm going to have to read again this morning anyway because about 100 things are going to intervene between last night and this yep. morning. Yep. So, for example, I had, before I came in here today, I had to go and do the Triple M. I had to do the budget. I had to talk to on Triple M about the budget this morning. So I actually did the budget before I read my brief to speak to you. I quickly had a look at it last night to you, and Hugh, I'm now giving Hugh, uh, giving away a secret here on uh, the <laughs> podcast to you. I actually wrote an email to you who said, excellent. I hadn't even fucking read it. <laughs> but but I sort of just quickly glanced at the headlines and I knew we were doing double podcasts today. So I quickly – so I prioritise very uh, – I'm very strict on my prioritisation. Yeah. I don't waste time on doing anything that I don't need to do until two hours from now. Now, that is totally against what my mother's always told me. My mother's always told me, don't put off on tomorrow what you can do today. Yeah. But I'm actually always putting off tomorrow what I don't have to do today. Yeah. That's okay. the way I look at it. Prioritization. Only look at those things at the top of your list, and then do things just before you have to do them. Because on the assumption that you've got a whole lot of stuff to fill in in the meanwhile, yeah. I'm not suggesting you put things off. Yeah, I'm just suggesting you prioritize. And then when you are doing the thing you are on, you concentrate on just that, just that, and then you immediately respond. Yeah, don't think I'll respond later because I, in my case, I won't. I always copy my EA in. Yeah. Um, um, and on, on everything so that she knows she reads all my stuff and if I've said oh, God, and I look look, uh, Danny I'll come and see you next week she knows it's in there she does a follow up she diarizes for me I always have someone to run my diary for me I do yeah. not run my own diary yeah. just don't um, that's 
you know, that's that's could be disastrous for me. So I, I'm only looking at the stuff I need to do. So I build around my life, um, and you may not be at that luxury yet, but I build around my life over the years people who take care of all the other stuff, and I just prioritize on the stuff I've got to do. Okay. So, and you become an automatum, um, basically, um, and uh, and then I'm and I only read, for example, and I. I only read, other than when I just before I go to bed at night, but I only read those things that are rel- relevant to what I'm doing. I'm not a person who reads novels, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, you know, like some people wander off and doing all sorts of things. Um, I'm not that guy and I because I don't have time to be that guy, but I will say this, you know, probably an hour before I go to sleep every night and sometimes on the weekend I will go and read things that interest me. Um, for example, right now I'm reading The Odyssey by Homer. I mean, it's a great book, but I just read – Maybe two chapters of it, and then uh, and then I'll, and I'll go and read the book again. I'll read it two or three times just to make sure I didn't miss something. Yeah, but, you know. But I read, I don't read novels by uh, you know, Enid Blyton or something. I, you know, <laughs> I read things that have relevance to my life. So the Odyssey is yeah. about life. I mean, it's it's sort of the you know the Homer's two thousand seven hundred BC or seven hundred BC uh, Bible. That's uh, that's the Bible is based on the Odyssey. Yeah, you know, it's not Odysseus; it's Jesus or whatever, or somebody else. So these stories are just live, still around ever since. So that's how I live my life. Okay, it's a lifestyle thing. Yeah, and I mean, and I did when I had kids. I mean, I had four sons, and yep. uh, you know, and I had, a, had I had a wife. Yeah, had two wives. Had three wives. <laughs> um, so the, the, you get a bit of a sense of what I'm talking about here. So yep. there's a lot of sacrifice involved, and yep. you know, you got to be careful. You know, don't just be careful. You don't hurt others. Um, and I can't say I was successful at that. Um, but that's one of my regrets, many regrets. But you'll end up with many regrets, yep. lots of great experiences, some good outcomes, some shit-ass outcomes. Um, and um, hopefully what you're presented today uh, will be one of the great outcomes and uh, put Australia on the map on an international sense. So thank you, Danny May. Brilliant. Thanks for having us. Welcome. This has been The Mentor with Mark Burris. You can follow Mark on LinkedIn 